Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Warning, uh, this podcast episode does contain mention of suicide. Please call 988 988- the Suicide Crisis Line, if you are struggling. It is my pleasure to have the honor of introducing Dr. Tracy Burns. I met her actually through working together at Children's National. She completed her pain fellowship, wanted to leverage her skill set in pediatrics, and then her new fellowship training in pain. We had a conversation on LinkedIn. And ever since then, I feel like we've just been getting in trouble, right? Like we just get ourselves into all kinds of things. (laughs) You know, like she's one of those people that you have an idea and if you just kept it to yourself, you probably would have just dismissed it. Like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going. And then of course I tell her and she's like, let's do it. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, fast forward. We're now like organizing events and we're you know, sending out these messages and we're just like, what the heck are we doing? It's like, I don't know. I think we all have friends like that, that we can fill out each other's chemistry and then it bubbles up and, and it creates a bunch of fun. And so when we talk about that person who is a cheerleader, she did this on a national professional level. So without further ado, We are going to get into how did this former NFL cheerleader, pediatrician transition into being who she is today, who does anesthesiology, pediatric pain, um, got some real estate going on, got some entrepreneurship uh, efforts. Let's get right into it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Anything you want to add to that introduction? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would just like part of us getting in trouble are your good idea. You keep coming up with good stuff for us to do, ways for us to get involved, ways for us to look like us, help medical students get into anesthesia. And it has been so fun and we are just getting started. I'm so blessed to get to know you. And yes, I sought you out because you were exactly where I wanted to be. I said, I need to know this woman. And I I'm just really getting on LinkedIn. I have a picture from 10 years ago that I'm working to ch- change, but that did not stop me from reaching out to you. It's like, this woman has it going on and I need to know her. And you responded like so quickly. I was so grateful. I was really nervous reaching out to you, but it was, it was all good. Yeah, no, all it, definitely all good things. And um, I'm so glad you finally did get a LinkedIn profile because it it is a great way to make connections. This is evidence case in point. So let's start, Dr. Burns, going even back further. 
Were you always interested in, in medicine? Kind of walk us through some of the the turning points of your story. Absolutely. So thankfully, I always had it on my heart that I wanted to be a doctor. When I was, what do you want to be when you, I want to be a doctor. I, I didn't know. I don't have any physicians in my family. Come to find out like several decades later, one of my great aunts was a nurse. But as far as I knew, in my maternal lineage, I was the only one who had completed a bachelor's degree. And in medical school, I fell in love with pain medicine. We were in a probably second year doctoring class where we have patients who come in presenting a problem. Our patient that sickle cell disease and he needed pain medicine. And I was shocked. Call me naive, but I was shocked that a man with sickle cell disease, pain disease, was being denied pain medicine because of implicit bias, straight up racism, and also the paternalistic nature of being a physician. Who are you to tell me? I want a altruistic healer and pain, as you know, is the number one complaint that most people are going to the doctor for. Later on in medical school, during my third year in my on my pediatrics rotation, I said, whatever I do is going to have to do with kids because I loved taking care of kids. I don't want to take care of sick kids. They were not that sad. They were still kids. And I was like, I'm, I'm doing children, whatever it is, I'm going to take care of kids. So I did a research fellowship with uh, the Doris Duke Clinical Foundation at Washington University. And I had the fortune of meeting Dr. Michael Debon, who is a world-renowned expert in sickle cell disease. He was my mentor for that year. And he said, you can't just be an anesthesiologist and take care of pediatric pain. You will miss so much pain in pediatrics if you only are focused on perioperative pain. I said, okay, that's fine. What do I know? I'm a third going on fourth year medical student. I am very impressionable. So I started researching, Googling around, and I found a combined program in pediatrics and anesthesiology, a five-year deal at a couple of hospitals, a couple of institutions, Boston Children's, uh, UC Irvine, Stanford, and Johns Hopkins. Boston already had their people picked. I rotated at Stanford, UC Irvine, and Hopkins as a fourth-year medical student. And because I'm from California and wanted to stay kind of close to home, I put UC Irvine number one, matched into that program, did one year of PEDS internship, one year of CA1 anesthesia residency, and then went back and forth every three years for a total of five years. After that, and some really big bumps that I'm happy to talk about, I did a fellowship at the University of Washington up in Seattle that was combined adult and pediatric pain. Okay, so just to clarify, the advice you were given during that research year, you already knew you wanted to do pain and it was bore out of the, really it it feels like you were indignant over how patients with sickle cell disease were being treated. And we know that those who have sickle cell are mainly black and brown patients. And that drove you to select that mentor who said that focusing just within the perioperative arena is not going to give you the comprehensive view of pain across, 
you know, the the outpatient world. Uh, and so that is why you did the combined pediatrics and anesthesiology. That, okay, okay, yes. Exactly. Okay, exactly. well, that's incredible. And then you, um, so that's exactly what you did. You were enterprising, you looked up the combined program and even, and then did your fellowship also comprehensively pain medicine. Now, um, you yes. you made reference to a few buffs. Uh, what you know, we care about those buffs, right? Because a lot of the folks listening are probably in the middle of similar uh, similar obstacles. What what did those look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So the first bump, the first big bump came when I was a CA1 resident. And I looking back, I think a couple of things lined up. Number one, I did not do a an adult medicine internship. I did not know any of my classmates coming in. I had just done a year of pediatrics, inpatient peds, outpatient peds, well child visits. It was very different than the experience my colleagues had had. So coming in. I was very naive and probably even more green than my colleagues. And there was an expectation that I did not understand because they come to find out they had also all done an anesthesia month long rotation prior to being a CA1. And I didn't have that. And I didn't even know that anybody had. I'm showing up and I don't know anything. And people are looking at me like, well, why don't you know anything? I remember very clearly somebody was like, what are the, what's the AEIU? indications for dialysis. I was like, I've never thought about dialyzing a patient in my life. I'm a pediatrician. Like, what do you want from me? I don't know. Right. So there was that. So I, I already came in and was not meeting expectations that I didn't even know existed. And I got in trouble and I got like the first round of evaluations came out and there's some that were good. And some that were like, she needs to go to back to her malignant pediatric program. And I was like, malignant pediatric program like that's an oxymoron first of all in my (laughs) pediatrics program was very loving it was so fun I I couldn't even believe that I was like you guys don't know me if this is what you're writing like I don't I don't know where this is coming from because I I, there is a complete disconnect right because I'm trying to show up and do my best but I'm not meeting your expectations so I to a neuropsychiatrist and I remember telling him that I think part of this is because I'm a black woman. Mm. And he said, it's because you're in, but it's certainly not because you're black. And I was like, how do you know anything about my experience? Mm. So that was the first thing. And of course it got better. I, you know, learned the taste more comfortable as the, as the year went on, I got very comfortable going back and forth every three months. I really, you know, in the middle of residency, found my stride. And I was just like, I'm just going to be this fish out of water no matter where I go because I'm half a pediatrician and half an anesthesiologist. And I'm learning both of them at the exact time. So I gave myself a lot of grace during that time. And then the big, huge, life-altering, want-to-commit-suicide bump came at the very end of residency, we have to take the in-training exam, the ITE, and that's in February, and you're supposed to graduate in June or something. And 
they have a cutoff. Any other year that you're under the cutoff, do better next year. But when it's your last year and you're under the cutoff, they reserve the right to hold you back. And so they told me on my birthday that I would not be graduating from residency on time and I would be expected to do six extra months of straight anesthesia. And I was devastated. I thought I was the biggest loser. I thought that this was the end of very seriously contemplated suicide because just like what a failure, what a disaster. It was horrible. Wow. And how did you, how did you shift? Because clearly and thankfully you're here. Well, so I have to give a huge shout out to my church down at UC Irvine, which was Second Baptist Church, where I prepared my church that I was leaving, I was leaving, and then the IT was not leaving. And I just had the longest face. I was so sad. And I was telling my church family, they were elated. (laughs) They could not contain their joy that I was staying. I was like, no, you guys, you don't understand. I am a complete failure. I have blown it. Nothing could be worse than this. And they were like, what are you talking about? We get to keep you for six months more. And so that just, that just, it's all about perspective, right? That just changed it. And then thankfully they told me that I was not going to have to take call. And this was going to be a Monday through Friday situation. And they were also going to give me extra test prep and oral board prep. So I was like, okay, my church family is happy. Mm -hmm. I still get to graduate. They're going to teach me. I still get my meal stipend. You know, I'm a resident. I love free food. (laughs) And I don't have the option of doing another job. And and the gospel song, Come Too Far to Turn Back Now, just kept playing and playing and playing. And it's like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to be sad about it. I'm not going to be upset about it. Because all things considered, this is great. Mm -hmm. And I remember my, an attending being like, oh, we thought you were going to be so angry. We thought you were going to be so bitter. I was like, why? Why would you think that? Full that you guys are teaching me and I get to learn, you know, I already only did two and a half years of anesthesia. So what's another six months in the grand scheme of life? And what if, you know, I, we, there was this busy street that we would have to cross every day from the parking lot. And I was like, what if I got hit by a car with my face long and so sad? And, and that would be the last memory that I had was being upset that I have to go to work. And I was like, the devil is lying. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be joyful in every situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I got through. Yeah, you did. And I want to just comment that you were beating yourself up for completing two residencies at the same time. I just want you to acknowledge that one residency is hard enough and you are simultaneously doing two, you know, two different kinds of test preps, two completely different kinds of settings, environments, skill sets, and you're beating yourself up because of a, a ITE that was, you know, it's like, wow, what a view that we all have of ourselves, right? That it's like, oh, um, wh- why couldn't you do two residencies at one time? You know, it's like, what? what? Like the fact yeah. that you even undertook that kind of program, I mean, it just, it speaks volumes to um, you know, your passion, your dedication, your commitment to the mission that you have set out, which is to serve those who have pain. 
uh, both all across the age spectrum. So I'm I'm just like blown. And, um, you know, what you see as a setback, I just I'm just, you know, I'm like this feedback should really go back to the creators of that track to fortify it, to ensure that their trainees are adequately supported, because that's huge. Two messages at once. I think the (laughs) other thing it it really speaks to is the culture of medicine. Oh, yeah. That that anyone, and you know, we hear about medical student, resident, Mm -hmm. attending physician suicides all of the time. And there's this unrealistic expectation that you should be perfect out of the gate on day one. And you should do so sleep deprived without having basic human needs met. You said it. Yeah. And it's just like, what, who are we training here? Are we training robots or are we training healers? That's right. That's absolutely right. It does speak to that. You just, you get so locked into that mindset that everything has to be perfect while being sleep deprived while being isolated from family and friends. I mean, that's not healthy. And there's a lot that is changing within the residency uh, curriculum to that end, because the setup right now is, yeah, unfortunately, physician suicides is one of the highest across industries. Oh, yeah. While why I was so passionate about bringing the union to my residency hospital, as well as serving as the president of the independent union when I was in Seattle doing fellowship. Because residents to have a voice, it's just asinine to think that you can work somebody for 80 plus hours per week and expect them to come out as a whole human, able to deliver care that is meaningful Mm -hmm. and impactful to patients who are going through the, the gamut where you're working 80 plus hours per week in inhumane conditions. And you're supposed to be able to deliver bad news, tell somebody that they have cancer, tell somebody that they're not going to get their baby back, or there was an adverse outcome during surgery. And, and are we supposed to be whole, complete humans in healthcare physicians when, when this is our training? It's, it does not make sense to me. And I know we can do better. I mean, what do you recommend residents do right now to maintain some degree of sanity and their own humanity as they're going through these rigorous programs? I think it's really important that residents, hopefully before residency or during during the rotations that that don't require as many hours, take the time to find out what recharges their battery best. Developing healthy coping strategies is really important. Everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people go home and think, oh, okay, I need a drink as soon as they go home. And that and that's what helps them to relax. That's good every once in a while, but it also breeds alcoholism, which is pretty common in medicine. So developing a workout routine, meditation routine, having those regular conversations with friends and family, anybody who has any sort of spiritual interest. I think that they can um, nurture that interest either by going to church or at least listening to inspirational music, being really intentional about what you are letting come into your space. And by your space, I mean your mind, I mean your body, your aura, if you will, if you want to get woo-woo about it, which I do love to get woo-woo. But you can't, you, you have to 
take care of your body, right? You have to eat right. You have to make sure you drink your water to the best of your ability. Sleep as as much as you can, as much as is good for your body, because too much sleep is also not great either. But you have to you have to really learn yourself. And you have to do the things that you know work. So one thing that I used to do, no matter what, every single morning, I would eat breakfast before I walked in that hospital. You could not get me not to have something on my stomach walking in the hospital because who knows what you're going to run into. And I don't do well on an empty stomach. I'm liable to fall out. So, so that's me. And I know that about myself. Dr. Burns's journey illustrates for us the importance of establishing a community and developing a wellness routine. Residency is a tumultuous terrain, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So please, please employ the strategies that Dr. Burns offered to keep you grounded and sane. There's so much that needs to change within the culture of medicine. But in the interim, let us do what we can to ensure our health and well-being. We will invite Dr. Burns back at some point in the near future to hear the rest of her story. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.